47 years ago in 1975, there was a popular song which asked a very profound question. Why can't we be friends? 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 Ironically, the name of the group that recorded that record was a group by the name of War. Well, James chapter 4 verse 1 tells us why we have war and quarrels and fights. It's because of another war. It's a war within our hearts. There's an enemy which invades and strives to conquer our passions with selfish desire and covetousness. Why can't we be friends? Well, the answer is war, war within our hearts. That's who we were by nature. Titus 3, 3 says that we ourselves were once hated by others and hating one another. Why can't we be friends? Well, because of sin. But thankfully, Christ died for our sins. And he called us to himself and he, he saved us and he placed us in the body. He placed us in the church with other saved sinners. And the practical expression of our coming together in God's grand scheme is what? The local church. The local church is the means that Christ has ordained to advance his kingdom. We are not a nation or a denomination or a campus ministry or a humanitarian relief agency, but a local church. Now, I'm pretty sure most of you who are here today have good enough ecclesiology that you know that that is what the New Testament teaches. So let me ask you a question that is a question to each of the churches that are gathered here today, and the question is this. Why can't we be friends why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? Well, I think we can. And I think to a certain extent we already are. But in an attempt to strengthen these friendships, I want us to consider one half of one verse from the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7a, reads as follows. Beloved, let us love one another. Beloved, let us love one another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we've already enjoyed your presence today and we are thankful for that. Now, Lord, as your book has been opened and the text has been read, and now, Lord, I seek to explain it and proclaim it, I pray that we would, in even a deeper sense, Sense your presence, Lord. And I pray that the word today would be understood, and I pray, Lord, that it would be applied in that we would strive, Lord, for your glory to be very good friends to one another. Lord, that is my goal. But, Lord, what is your will? Lord, would you please accomplish your purposes today by your word? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our outline today is going to be this phrase, beloved, let us love one another in reverse order, uh, backwards, inverted, flipped upside down. So here's the outline today. Point number one, one another. Point number two, let us love. Point number three, beloved. 
Point number one, one another. One another. Uh, This is a broad definition of all Christians. It could be applied to your spouse if your spouse is saved. That it could be applied to members of your own local church. Or it could be applied, one another, to Christians that are around the world and we are called to love them. Let me tell you of a Christian who is another part of the world that needs our love. This is a text that I received yesterday from a Ukrainian friend of mine who lives in New Jersey. He asked me to pray, so I'm asking you to pray. This is a prayer request for some friends of his who live in Vorsel, which is about 30 kilometers from Kiev. And here's the request. A man by the name of Dima went outside for a minute. And at the time the text was sent yesterday, he had been missing for more than seven hours. There is shooting and there are tanks by their house. His wife, who sent the request, was in the basement with the children with no food and no water and no electricity. Their neighbors are lying dead by the fence outside and her phone is losing battery and she reports that they are shooting everyone that they see. Well, that is one another. Now, he's in a different place than we are. They are in a different place than we are, but we are to love them. But for our purposes today, the one another applies to other local churches in our region, in the New York metropolitan area. That, for this sermon, is the one another. Why can't we be friends? Well, let me define we. Who are we? As was stated earlier, we are not a denomination. Now, there are some in this room who are part of denominations, but we, together, are not one. Uh, As a friendship of churches, we have no government, we have no bylaws, we have no officers, we have no financial obligations to one another. For crying out loud, we don't even have a name, thus we had to come up with something like for worship. We got nothing in terms of a formal gathering. We are simply friends who agree to come together and fellowship based upon some core doctrines. Now, generally speaking, we, and remember when I say we, I'm referring to all of the churches that are gathered here today, we are in agreement on the inerrancy of Scripture and the Lordship of Christ and salvation by grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from works. But in that sense, we are also friends with every Bible-believing and gospel-preaching church in New York. When I am referring to we, our friendship, it it runs deeper and it is more specific. But before I address the specific ways in which we are united, uh, let me point out that we are extremely diverse. There are no two churches in this room who have matching bylaws. Our worship styles vary. Our membership processes differ. When it comes to eschatology, well, the only thing that you really should be able to agree on with the others is that both of you are wrong. 
We are not cookie-cutter, clone, drink-the-Kool-Aid copies of one another. All of our churches are autonomous, meaning self-governing. And I hope that you never become a mini-me of another church. I hope that you never feel any pressure to be like another church. Uh, That's not to say that all churches are doing things equally well. But it is to say that all churches have their own unique context and personality which God ordained. I mean, think of it. Why didn't Paul just write one letter, copy and paste, and send it to every church? It's because every church is unique. So, your church is different than my church, and may it forever be that way. But we do have something in common which unites us. And that is this. We have a common conviction that God is sovereign in all things, including and especially salvation. Let me say that again. We have a common conviction that God is sovereign in all things, including and especially salvation. Now that is not to say that every person in this room understands and agrees with Reformed soteriology. In fact, not every person in this room even knows what that means. But generally speaking, there is an agreement among us, that is we and our churches that are gathered here today, that, as Jonah said, salvation is of the Lord. Or as Jesus said in John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Or as Paul said in Ephesians 1, 4, that he, God, chose us in him, that is in Christ before the foundation of the world. You see, there are some churches like North Shore Baptist Church, and we would call ourselves Calvinists. There are other churches who, for very good reasons, would not use that title. And that does not mean that every person in North Shore Baptist Church is a Calvinist, and some of those who are not Calvinist are actually better Christians than those who are Calvinist. I'm just saying, generally speaking, we use that phrase. But regardless of what you call it, Our unity boils down to a God-centered gospel whereby we confess and believe that God is the one who has chosen who will be saved. And there is a fixed roster in heaven which was written before time began, written by God, based upon the counsel of his will. Now there are countless other churches in New York City that do not believe that. And in many cases, they are better churches than we are. And so I am not accentuating our doctrinal distinctives in order to be argumentative or to pick a fight or to be elite or to be arrogant or to be exclusive. I'm simply saying that an important, unique, common feature which we share, which brings us together, is the conviction that God is sovereign in salvation. Now, there may be some saying to themselves right now, well, I don't believe that. Well, your pastor does. And I hope that I'm not getting him in trouble right now. But I want to be unashamedly clear. A unifying feature of our collective friendship is our commitment to the doctrines of God's sovereign grace. And so, for our purposes today, 
One another in the text means brethren in our region who are like-minded in their conviction that God is sovereign. That's point number one. Here's point number two. Let us love. Let us love. The clear New Testament pattern is that individual local churches were aware of and invested in other local churches. Let me say that again because I think that may be perhaps the most important thing that I'm going to say today. I'm on point number two. The point is let us love and I am using as my argument today the fact that New Testament churches were aware of and invested in other local churches. But when you read Paul's epistles written to other local churches, he writes with the assumption that the church to whom he is writing knows the circumstances of the individual people in the other churches. And I think that this is a very strange thing because very few of those people would ever actually travel to meet any of those other Christians. You see, travel was rare and it was difficult for the average church member. And information moved very slowly. And they didn't have any photographs and they didn't have any telephones and they didn't have any emails. And yet they knew about and they loved one another. And the ways that they showed love to one another was through prayer and through sending gifts and through e extending hospitality to a traveling preacher, giving financial assistance to meet practical needs, giving money to Paul so that he could continue his missionary work. See Philippi. By contrast, I think everybody in the room tonight is going to sleep in their own bed. We have cars many of us. We all have access to public transportation and to phones and to emails and to Zoom. You can see and speak to people from other churches instantly. Proximity and technology allow us to be in one another's lives. And what we are we to do as we are striving to be in one another's lives? Well, again, I take you back to the text. Let us love. Why can't we be friends? Well, maybe part of the reason why we can't be close friends is because we are so consumed with our own lives and our own churches. Now, I'm not saying that it is bad to be committed to your own local church. But the biblical pattern is that churches were aware of and they were concerned with one another. I think you know that there was a famine in Jerusalem. And the churches in Macedonia, that is in Europe, stepped forward with practical relief. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, for they, that is the Macedonian churches in Europe, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, they gave more than they were able to give, and they wanted to do it without being asked to do it. Not only were they asking to do it, but it says, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Not only do we want to give, we are begging you, please let us give to this other local church. And likewise, in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul writes once again 
of the church in Macedonia and Achaia. And he says, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Antioch wanted to do the same thing. Acts chapter 11, verse 29 so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers in Judea. Speaking of Antioch, you'll remember when the Lord started to do a great work there. Many people went from Jerusalem to Antioch and there a revival broke out. And what did the church in Jerusalem do when they found out that there was a revival in Antioch? Acts chapter 11, verse 22. The report of this, that is the great revival in, in, in Antioch, came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Verse 23, what did Barnabas do when he got to Antioch? And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Is Barnabas a pastor in that church? No. Is he an elder in that church? No. He's not even a member in that church. He's a guy from a church in Jerusalem who is sent to Antioch. He gets there. He sees the grace of God and he starts to talk and he builds them up and he edifies them. Churches, loving churches, churches, helping churches by sending encouragers to see that the work is done and that the saints are built up. So I would say to you, you have a list on the front of your bulletin today of churches in our area. Uh, from time to time, you will visit one of those churches. When you do, I would encourage you to walk in like Barnabas and look for the grace of God and then use words to build up the saints in that church. I've been at North Shore Baptist Church for 30 years. In the early days of my ministry there, the church was very small and we needed some assistance. I'm going to tell you where that assistance came from. It came in large part from my previous church in South Carolina. I asked a friend of mine who was an elder at that church by the name of Dennis Newell at Three Rivers Baptist Church in Columbia, South Carolina to come and to preach for us. When he came, he did not only preach, he preached, and his preaching was fantastic. But he did much more than that. He formed relationships with our people, and he prayed for our people and he remembered to pray for our people and he checked up on our people to make sure or to see if those prayer requests were being answered. And he counseled our people. We would give him an honorarium for coming and speaking. I hope he doesn't lose his reward in heaven, but he would just turn around and take that honorarium and he would give it to someone in our church who was hurting. Three Rivers Baptist Church, Columbia, South Carolina, helping Little North Shore Baptist Church by sending a Barnabas to encourage us. Churches helping churches, churches loving churches, let us love. And it is all over the New Testament. In Acts chapter 8, a man by the name of Philip travels from Jerusalem. He is a Jerusalem guy. He's a Jerusalem deacon. And he travels up to Samaria. And what does he do when he gets there? He preaches Christ to them. And what does God do? God sends another revival. 
And what does the Jerusalem church do when they hear about that revival? Acts chapter 8 verse 14. Now when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent, S-E-N-T, sent them Peter and John. Verse 15. Who came down, even though they're traveling from south to north, they're going lower in elevation, they came down to Samaria And what did Peter and John do? They prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we will discuss pneumatology at our next gathering. But for our purposes today, it is clear that the church at Samaria was helped by the prayers of people in the Jerusalem church. Churches helping churches. Churches loving churches. Let us love You read the rest of the New Testament and you pay attention to the number of names which are exchanged among churches. And in most cases, these people would never see or they would never meet one another in this lifetime. But they loved one another and they were concerned for one another. Churches helping churches. Let us love. We have an amazing verse in Romans chapter 16, verse 23. It says, Gaius, who is the host to me... And to the whole church greets you, Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now Paul is in Corinth. He's writing a church, he's writing a letter to the church at Rome. The letter's probably going to be sent by a lady by the name of Phoebe. As the crow flies, that is 617 miles. Gaius and Erastus and Quartus are never going to meet those Roman Christians. For crying out loud, Paul himself has never been to Rome at this point. And yet, these people know and love and pray for and greet and help people in a church that they will never travel to in their life. What's this mean for our tiny family of churches in the New York metro area? It means that we need to strive to love and help one another. Let me cite a few examples. Paul Fry is 92 years old. He lives in Queens. And he serves as an elder at the Grace and Truth Church. And he preaches at countless churches in our megalopolis. Mike Moultrie is an elder at the Woodside Community Church, and yet he serves a host of churches through his biblical counseling ministry. In 2004, Grace Baptist Church was without a pastor. I said to my assistant pastor at the time, Peter Nicotra, Pete, can you go for six weeks and help them out? He went, and he's never been back. Over 900 Sundays. When you coming home, Pete? I don't know when. But we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. How about this? 2018. Rocky Wolford from the Gateway Church. Can't make this stuff up, folks. From the Gateway Church. Gave a chunk of his liver to Eric DeJoya from North Shore Baptist Church. You know, some churches have like a food pantry. (laughs) 
gateway gives body parts. It's like you're, you're checking out what ministry would you like to be in? Worship, nursery, usher, organ donation. That's why we can be friends. Let us love. I think the greatest expression of love that has ever been bestowed from one church to another came when a recent new member of ours from North Shore Baptist Church, Gabby Jimenez, came to the First Baptist Church of, in the city of New York to date Hector. That, that is, that is, that's giving. That's giving. There are countless other examples of how you've demonstrated your love to other churches in this region. Let me cite two more. Number one, whenever there is a need for pulpit supply, otherwise known as preaching, we call upon one another to fill our pulpits. Even tomorrow, there will be the great pulpit swap part two where 10 friendly churches in the area will swap preachers. I think it's good and it's healthy and it's godly to hear a fresh voice from another church. Let us love. We love by preaching for one another. Also, about once every other month, we have a pastor's fellowship where we get together and share and hear the word and eat ribs and chicken and strengthen our relationships. We need to thank Bob Ginsera and Micah McCormick for being the initiators of this ministry years ago. On March 21st, we're going to have a pastor's conference at North Shore Baptist Church. Please see me, pastors and pastor's wives, if you would like to come to that. Let us love. But what can we do going forward well, the list is long. I've narrowed it down to two points of application. Application point number one, contribute, don't compete. Contribute, don't compete. Now, when I say contribute, it doesn't just mean money, although that can be included. But when I say contribute, it means to help, to assist, to encourage, to serve, to pray. You see, our churches vary in size and resources, and so pastors, I would say to you today, if you see a fellow church struggling for musicians and childcare, and you yourself have an overabundance of helpers in your church, be willing to share your people to go and to help, some of them temporarily, some of them permanently. For many years, North Shore Baptist Church enjoyed the service of Eric Hung. Never was there a more committed church member. But when he heard that Harry Fujiwara was coming to this church, he gladly gave up his church to come and to serve here. Gloria Nakotra, who was a faithful member of the Grace Baptist Church, when she heard that Harry was coming to be the pastor here, left her father's church to come and to serve here. That is very commendable. John the Baptist says in Luke 3.11, let him who has two give to him who has none. So, I'm not calling for communism where we all have equal resources, but I am calling for cooperation where the strong will intentionally be on the lookout to bless the churches that are less strong. 
One of the things that we can do is we can contribute prayers. Let me give you a prayer request, and I hope that you will take it home, and I hope that you will take it to your knees. A longtime faithful member of North Shore Baptist Church, Carol Spiel, on Thursday afternoon at 1.10, was hit by a car close to Northern Boulevard and Community Drive. Yesterday, she was in surgery for over seven hours. Her son sends a text that she is going to require surgery again tomorrow. Her name is Carol Spiel. Some of you know her. Some of you do not know her. All of you should be praying for one another. Contribute. Do not compete. Several years ago, Bob Ginsera and the Grace and Truth Church told us of his need to have help in their music. Frank and Rosa Ciaramella left North Shore Baptist Church for a year and went and served, and Frank played the piano there. Contribute, don't compete. Uh, by compete, I, I, I'm talking now primarily about sins which people commit in their hearts and minds, sins of pride and sins of jealousy. Pride, when things are going well and we're experiencing blessings which are unique and visible, which our other sister churches are not experiencing, and jealousy, when we see other churches flourish and they enjoy success that we don't see. This is not a competition. We are on the same team. We were bought by the same blood. We are going to be in the same heaven. Our contexts are different. We're going to experience varying levels of visible growth. We are individual churches, but we are unified in our goal. And that is seeing Jesus Christ exalted in the New York metro area. So when you have zero baptisms and you hear of another church that had ten baptisms, you are called to rejoice. And when you have ten baptisms and a sister church has zero baptisms, you are to pray for them and to assist them, but don't you dare gloat or boast or flaunt or strut. Within your church, encourage one another and build one another up. But brothers and sisters, for our purposes today, in our churches, remember the we, contribute, don't compete, let us love. Which brings me to the second application, and that is a way that you can love, is to develop a kingdom mindset with respect to church planting and revitalization. You see, you today are part of a large gathering. Not really. We live in a city of nine million people. We need to continue to see additional healthy churches added. We need to add to this number. Our zeal for this needs to grow. And what that might mean for you practically is that if your church plans to, send to, to, to plant a church, would you please pray about going and being a part of that church plant? My hero is sitting right over here. Joe Lazardo from the Bread of Life Fellowship in Wayne, New Jersey. Joe has a church of 120 people and he decides to plant another church. 
So the church in Wayne sends Damien to Kearney. And he sends 35 people. God bless you. That is the pattern that we should follow. That is the mouse that roared. That is the way that you do it. You give. By the way, that church in Kearney has a, a, a painting ministry. And it's known as Art Kearney. Art Kearney. I, I knew I could get a groan out of you. Wouldn't it be glorious if we were thinking about planting other churches and working together? Let's do this together. The pastor that embodies this the most is Pastor Caleb Bunch from Gateway. He's always researching and exploring opportunities to find new churches in Long Island. Let's not be content with what we have, but let us be zealous to see the fame and glory of Jesus Christ expanded by loving one another and helping one another plant additional churches. Let us love by planting more churches. Point number one, one another. Point number two, let us. Point number three, beloved. 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 The command which we receive from 1 John 4 is not given to all of humanity. It is specifically targeting a select group. And listen to me, this select group is called Beloved. And by that, he didn't mean that they were lovable. Uh, nor did they get that title because they themselves were so proficient at loving. The word beloved means that they are loved by the Lord. Not loved by other Christians, although they were loved by other Christians, and not loved by John the author, although they were loved by John the author, and not loved by God in a general sense, such as God loves all of his creation. But beloved, stick with me now, means that these people were loved by God specifically through the person and work of his son. The reason that I know that this is true is because three verses later in 1 John 4.10 it says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We are beloved because God loved us and he proved it in the giving of his only begotten son to die in our place. The gospel is of first importance. We are not just one big happy family that loves to get together and sing and share snacks. We are not just people who share the same doctrinal convictions or who live in the same geographical region. Please understand what primarily unites us today, and that is that we are loved by God in the same way. He set his affection on us before time, and he sent his son to save us in time, to bear the wrath of God in our place, in his body on the tree. So, beloved, God loves you. He demonstrated his love while you were still sinners in that Christ died for you. He rose again and he still loves you. What you need to need, know today is that you are loved by God. 
So do not rejoice that you get to see one another, but rejoice that your names are in the book of life. You know, when we talk about churches and, and, and we get all of this information from, from all of these sources and, and we think about like, well, what are we supposed to do with, with church as it relates to demographics and strategy and methods? And I'm like, ah, I can't contain it all. You know what we need? We need a fresh awakening to the power and the priority of the gospel. Beloved, be not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation that every, to everyone that believes. The gospel that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried and that he rose again. Beloved, do not place anything above the gospel, for the gospel is of first importance. Beloved, do not be distracted by anything that fades the gospel. Beloved, remember the gospel. Beloved pastors, preach the gospel. Beloved sheep, live the gospel. Beloved, those of you who are loved by God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, let us love one another. One final word. In a room this size, there have to be people who do not qualify to be called beloved. You are not saved. You've not been born again. But what a glorious time and what a glorious place to confess your faith in Jesus Christ. Would it be a shame today if we were to talk so much about salvation and yet we were not to make the offer of salvation free to everyone who has assembled? And so I say to all, there is a holy God and you have offended him. And there is a merciful Christ who has died in place of sinners. And this merciful Christ said that if you will come to him, or even the simplicity of what Hector shared in his testimony, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Little children, I want to say to you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Those of you that have come today just to make your spouse happy, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have just wandered in, you have no idea what this gathering is about, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, it is a grand and glorious thing to be called beloved. We who are beloved, let us love one another. Father in heaven, I thank you for this brief time in the word where we have examined this short phrase. May we be very, very diligent to ponder these words, to think about them, then, Lord, to go and to apply them. Lord, thank you that we have been able to gather today for this brief foretaste of what fellowship really is all about. Lord, may we go from this place, Lord, eager, eager to tell others about our wonderful Savior. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.